What you want more than anything is you want to meet people with different experiences. And I've always sort of found you would see things that you would not automatically have come across. Hello and welcome to the Parliamentary Review Podcast, the podcast that has a soft spot for raising standards. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and in each episode, I'm joined by directors, CEOs, CFOs, government ministers, chairmen, and chairwomen. The aim is to discover who these people are, the people who get up each morning and make Britain work. We discuss the innovation that leads to success in this country, and we also get their take on the current political and economic state of the nation. Later on in this episode, you'll have the chance to hear Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Lord Pickles, former Secretary of State for Communities and Local Government, Chairman of the Conservative Party, and of course, current co-chairman of the Parliamentary Review. But for now, we're joined by Tom Milbourne, Director of Seacoat Caravan Park. Tom, welcome. Hello. Well, thank you for coming on the uh, podcast uh, today. Uh, We might as well uh, get stuck straight in. It's been a few months since Seacoat Caravan Park appeared in the Parliamentary Review. What has happened in the ensuing months? Well, um, there have been winter months when we are um, going through a quiet spell um, in terms of um, holiday trade. So what we do is that we, um, um, during these months, we spend them upgrading and refurbing and maintaining and um, departing with old caravans and bringing new ones on and generally getting the site ready for Easter. Mm-hmm. Um, which is in, um, in, what, four weeks' time. Now, of course, it sounds like a, it's a very uh, busy time for you with all this uh, Yes, it's a busy time. Yes, it is. Oh, yes, but there's always, always plenty of work to do um, on caravan parks during the winter months. Now, are these items that you are planning uh, long-term? Do you, do you identify these issues throughout the year uh, and then uh, go after them in this quiet period? Or uh, is this something that just uh, things that pop up? Well, there's two things, really, yes. Um, one is sort of planned maintenance improvement. So what we do is that sort of every, before winter comes, we decide, right, what needs improved, what needs, um, you know, um, extended or refurbed. So we plan that in. And also, of course, there's, there are um, jobs that come along out of necessity, um, repairs and um, emergencies, you know, that also get, because in, in winter, we're right on the seafront. And um, so we do get um, some extreme weather. And so therefore, um, repair jobs reveal themselves in winter, which we have to do sort of straight away. So there's, you know, there's two types of um, jobs um, that that we get um, pretty well tied up with. Now, a lot of time has passed since you acquired Seacoat Park in 1977. What has changed in the industry and what has stayed the same in that period of time? Well, um, people's expectations are much higher now. Um, Back in 1977, 
caravans were very much summer use only. And um, people, you know, they just weren't used in winter. Um, there was no central heating. Um, some of them just had open wood or coal fires. They didn't have bathrooms. They didn't have double glazing or full insulation. And they were very much just a summer, um, you know, a place to come in the summer while the weather was good. But now, um, you know, families now um, have time off all year round. And while summer is still the busier time of the two, we do get quite a lot of visitors now in winter. And um, so, you know, so because of that, caravans now are full central eating, double glazing insulation, the, you know, um, in, indoor bathrooms and shower rooms. And um, they're very, very comfortable for winter use. And um, I know that, you know, Christmas and New Year, for example, can be, um, can be one of the busier weeks of the year. Um, so they've changed a lot in that regard. Also, another thing is that um, in summer, people would generally come for a week or a fortnight's holiday. Now, um, they'll come just for a weekend, um, Friday Friday afternoon till Sunday afternoon or something, and um, just a little getaway, um, almost um, taken at the, um, you know, without preparation, oh, come and we'll go away for the weekend. And they just decide and come um, at, the, at the last minute. So all of that has changed. And what stayed the same within the industry? What stayed the same? Mm-hmm. Well, people's expectations are still the same. They still want, um, you know, um, they're still paying good money, so they want good service, um, nice, clean caravans, um, you know, um, and. Um, they want um, us, you know, that to be around to sort out any problems that may arise. Um, so, um, so they're, you know, they are very much still the same, and um, so you, you, you've got to maintain, you know, the standards that have always been there. Now, uh, as well as looking after 600 static caravans across four holiday parks, you also run a 70-room uh, hotel and employ 60 staff. That's a lot to balance. Uh, what are the greatest challenges with running your business? Well, there's lots of, lots of challenges. These are all, they're all seasonal businesses. So you've got to um, plan your cash flow carefully because in winter um, you tend not to make very much money. You you spend a lot in winter on on improvement and repairs and uh, refurbishment and so on. Um, so you've still got a full complement of staff, but your income is. Um, nowhere near as much and um, November, January, February are usually loss-making months so you've got to plan your cash flow accordingly. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you've got to you know, make sure you're setting money aside in the good months to to cover you for over the lean months and so on. So that's something that's very important and um, 
Um, I know it's something that I'm often passing on to um, people who are starting off their own business and they come asking for advice. And that's one thing I always remind them about. Um, you know, uh, put money away during the good times so it's there because harder times will surely follow. So it's financial prudence. I think so, yeah. Do you feel it's that a lot of... To, Please, go it's ahead. easy to spend money because it's there and you forget about tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's, a, that's something that a lot of inexperienced um, you know, businesses often um, fall, fall by. Do you feel that a lot of people coming into the world of work these days have a lack of financial acuity? Yes, there is there is a tendency with a lot of people to buy or borrow to buy, you know, um, um, in anything that they may fancy, you know. And I I feel that a lot of younger people, especially, um, that you know they borrow for everything and. It's all right as long as they've got a good, well-paid job and they can cope with it. But if if things, you know, if they do, if there's a downturn and um, they find they've got a lot of debt, you know, on the credit cards or or higher purchase or mortgage or uh, you know, um, everything these days can be bought on credit. And I'm not sure that that is a good thing. Do you think that this is something that we need to have more education about in school, uh, better uh, financial? Yes, uh, I mean, <laughs> obviously, um, borrowing to buy a house or, or you know, many other things. Is, you know, yes, it is. No, it's a good, it's a good thing. Obviously, it, it is essential. And um, obviously, if you didn't borrow, then you'd probably never be able to buy a house or or a, a new motor car or something. Mm. But I think it's very, very easy to go over the top. And you do hear of people who've got all sorts of credit cards and there's debt on all of them and and, 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 and they owe for this and they, they're paying that off and so on and so forth. And I <laughs> I sometimes wonder, well, I hope, you know, I hope things stay um, going well for them because um, in a downturn, you know, they could find themselves not being able to cope. Now, uh, in your best practice article, you say the secret to your success is never remaining complacent. How do you constantly yeah. improve whilst motivating your staff? Well, it's it's a tricky one. Um, you know, you can never you can never sit back and say, right, you know, everything's um, everything's going well. Um, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, there's that sort of mm-hmm. um, feel, feeling you, you can get. But you know, in a, in a, there is a an old saying that there's nothing more constant than change, and change is happening all the time, um, in, increasingly so. Um, new legislation, new practices. New, new methods of, you know, booking systems, all computerized, all online, and so on and so forth. And um, really, you know, 
you you can't be complacent and say right we've always done it this way um, we'll carry on um, you just can't do that you've got to be ever um, ready for for these new new changes that are coming mm-hmm. and I'm I'm quite lucky because um, my son who's um, quite a bit younger than me and my daughter-in-law who are both in the business with me they're the ones that um, I can fall back on and um, um, they're much more ready readily um, up on you know to cope with all these changes and not to be complacent um, keep us abreast of things now, of course, you also mentioned that one of your biggest challenges is your proximity uh, to a nuclear plant. Um, how does that affect you, and how do you overcome this? Well, <clears throat> Salafield is the nuclear plant in question, and it's just down the road from us, about, um, what, five, six miles down the road. Um, Salafield did at one stage develop a very... Um, poor image Um, and the public the whole country the whole world um, knew about Salafield and some of the leaks it was having and the problems and so on and it had a detrimental effect on um, visitors to this area and being in the tourist trade we we suffered Mm. from, um, from Salafield's poor image now, since then, I must say over the last 10, 15 years, Salafield's image has improved enormously. They have spent a lot of money and time on sorting out um, things that went wrong and leaks and so on. And um, they, they are now, um, um, you know, quite, I, I think it's fair to say that they are now a positive um, influence on our area, whereas 10, 15, 20 years ago, they certainly won't, um, weren't. And um, so it, 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 it's one that has turned out a bit. They do, um, they do have, have the negative side still. I mean, most people that live in our area are employed at Salafield. Um, and um, um, so there is a lot more traffic on these country roads and um, so on that um, you know that you could do without sometimes things like that because it is a big place. But as I say, it does have a positive um, effect as well because it puts a lot of money into the area and creates a lot of valuable employment and a lot of our customers. Um, in one way or another, are involved at Solarfield. Mm. Now, of course, uh, the world is uh, full of all kinds of challenges, not just the ones that we are used to facing day in and day out. Uh, at the news at the moment, of course, is the uh, the talk of the coronavirus. Um, do you feel that this will impact your business? Um, yes, I think we can already see um, you, you, you'll have heard of staycation. Yes. This is when people decide not to go abroad for their holidays, but to stay in Britain. Well, I mean, Easter is now 
what, four, four or five weeks away. And I think it's fair to say that we are filling up quite fast already. Right. And I suspect quite a bit of that is to do with people who would otherwise have gone abroad for the Easter weekend, but this year they've decided to stay at home. So it's had so a very positive our, effect for your business. Uh, it, yes, at the moment. At, at the moment, I think I can see a positive effect in that regard, yes. Obviously, um, on the other side of things, um, you know, we don't know how far this is going to spread. Right. It could it could affect our staff or some of them, and um, so on and so forth. We've got to wait and see how it goes here. But um, so there could be a downside. Um, but um, I think any signs I can see at the moment are probably on the positive side with with customers, um, you know, um, staying in Britain instead of going abroad. Now, of course, um, there are challenges of many sorts. What are the greatest challenges that you believe will affect your industry in the next 10 years? Right. Well, that's a good one, really. I think um, it's difficult to predict. Um, I mean, the last 10 years have been quite good. The economy's been good, and um, people, you know, have seen that there's been more spending money um, around and so on. Um, a lot more very, you know, very ordinary sort of families, if I can call them that, coming in and buying caravans and so on, you know, which is good. Um, whether that will continue, I don't know. Let's wait and see what Brexit what happens to Brexit and the negotiations and so on that um, comes out of that. Um, I, I, I'm quietly confident, to be honest. I am. I think I am an optimist at heart. And I, I would tend to feel that the next 10 years will be all right. Okay, but just um, how much all right and so on. I'm sure it will be... There will be a downside to part of it, um, but I think generally, you know, one's got to be optimistic and um, see what comes. That's always a good attitude to have within business because uh, yes, a, pessimism, a pessimism is just uh, really an anathema to uh, profit. Um, now, the holiday industry is one of Britain's largest income streams. What do you feel the government could do to help it succeed even further? Right. Well, obviously, um, invest in Britain um, is a good thing. Um, and, um, you know, things like um, the Northern Powerhouse and... Um, the, the you know the the, the new H HS2 rail service Heathrow extension so on and so forth you know these can only be good for Britain um, I would like to see um, investment spreading north a bit I think I mean I mean London's a marvelous city and it's got so much going for it for tourists. 
And um, because of that, most things seem to happen in London. I would like to see it spreading north because we're um, um, we're we're on the fringe of the Lake District, which is a um, you know a wonderful area to visit. And um, I would like to see um, you know investment and so on to um, um, encourage people to come further north. And um, where you know we will all benefit, and there'll be less concentration on, say, places like London. Um, um, I would like to see that. Now, quite unfortunately, our time together is drawing to its close, Tom. But before I let you go, what does the next twelve months have in store for Seacoat Caravan Park? Well, we are. I mean, this winter we've. Um, invested a substantial funds in improvements and replacements and um, to bring us more up to speed and more competitive. And I would like to think that some of that will start paying off. You know, I, I think we will start seeing a return on some of that investment. Um, obviously, it's more, perhaps more in the longer term than just over the next 12 months, um, you know, for years to come. Because as I said before, my uh, my son and daughter-in-law are now in the business and they're going to take it on when I retire. And so clearly we are investing and looking not just one year ahead. We're looking 10, 15, 20 years ahead. And um, so, um, you know, it's... It, I think um, it'll put us in a good place to compete um, into the short-term future and you know, and in the longer term as well. Well, Tom, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your insights. Tom, thank you. Thank you very much indeed. I hope that you enjoyed our chat with Tom Milbourne, and especially learning more about the challenges facing the sector and how the whole team at Seacoat Caravan Park are continuing to raise standards. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with the Parliamentary Review's co-chairman, Lord Pickles. Lord Pickles served as Secretary of State for Communities and Local Government in David Cameron's cabinet before receiving a peerage in 2018. Lord Pickles remains active as the United Kingdom's anti-corruption champion and the country's special envoy for post-Holocaust issues, as well as being a keen vexologist. That's flags to you and I. And now Jonathan White's interview. Lord Pickles, thank you very much for joining us today. Pleasure. Um, Now, I'm sure you won't uh, mind me reminding the listeners that uh, you've been involved in politics, both local and national, for quite a number of decades, um, indeed before we, the days we were in the common market. Um, you know, given your experience over those years, um, what thoughts have you had over the last few weeks and months about the current political uh, situation the country finds itself in? situation is quite dire because we have um, a parliament that um, is by and large useless. It's like a bored teenager on a long drive and um, it wants, it knows what it doesn't want and it's so bored with Brexit but it can't agree so no matter what you put up it's against it. Are you in favour of a referendum? No, I don't want that. Are you in favour of uh, remaining within the single man? No, I don't want that. Are you in favour of... No, I don't want to 
do that. No, no. And are you favour of leaving without a deal? No, we don't want to do that. So it's against everything. But it, there isn't enough votes to be in favour of something. And it could be by the time this, this podcast goes out that, that uh, Boris has, has started on the process of the bill because we'll be voting on that today. Uh, but even then, it, what people don't seem to understand, this is not the end of Brexit. Right. This is barely opening the door of Brexit. We've got years of negotiations about fight, about trade agreements, relationships with uh, with Europe, putting uh, putting down pieces of legislation. We get our agriculture, our fisheries, our financial services into place. Brexit is going to go on and on and, and, sure and on and on. To it. I'm sure we are. Um, now uh, the question is, I, I should actually remind listeners that we are talking on the day that the second reading of the European uh, uh, Act will. Uh, take place. So, as we speak, we don't quite know. As well, perhaps like the government front bench, don't know what's going to happen. Um, you compare Parliament to a petulant teenager. What do you do to a petulant teenager to sort it out? Um, is there a chance that it will see sense and push this through this bill without breaking amendments? Is there a chance it will vote for its own uh, for a general election? What do you, how do you see this playing out at the moment? The sensible thing will be to put this deal through because I've always been of the view a deal is better than no deal because this is just the beginning. In order to start the process of Brexit, start the process of uh, the United Kingdom taking over powers that it's, uh, it's not really exercised for 40 odd years, the smart thing is to get this thing through now. But in a way it's not about Brexit itself. If there was a free vote, this deal would have gone through. Mrs May's deal would have gone through. But it's about politics. It's about a Labour Party that thinks it has a chance uh, trying to make the Prime Minister, whether it was Theresa May or Boris Johnson, uh, look as though that they are uh, in office but not in power, of um, delaying as long as possible. There's a lot of talk about... Um, an election uh, in the autumn, maybe back end of November, beginning of uh, of December, uh, something for us to look forward to before Christmas. It's beginning to look less likely. It's beginning to look as though they might want to drag it into spring to get as far away as possible um, from the rather decisive moment that uh, Boris came back with a deal. We have to remind ourselves that nobody thought he could deliver um, a deal and it does quite shock them and I remember all this process went through in order to ensure that we we're left without a deal when we have a deal suddenly oh no it's not that kind of deal we don't want that kind of deal we want something different I think the vast majority of people in this country whether remain or leave now would be very satisfied for this to come to a um, able conclusion and as correctly just said, uh, because when it does come to those on, in the opposition who claim to want this to happen, and then to, uh, uh, introduce wrecking amendments, they introduce uh, new objections to it, the general public are getting quite frustrated. But you've got to understand that quite a lot of people don't get beyond a small area 
within Westminster, sometimes cliche referred to as the Westminster bubble, and go back to their own patch. Now, by and large, everybody hates their MP, except when they're at home, doing the fairs, doing, you know, uh, wandering around, uh, helping people. So they, in a way, they're cosseted to that great, which I feel is coming as a tsunami of change. Uh, you were, of course, MP for Brentwood for uh, uh, 25 years. Absolutely. Um, what would you, I mean, of course, you resident there as well, despite being a proud Yorkshire, obviously, representing a good Essex seat. What would you say to your, your old constituents right now? Hang in there, it'll be all right? Well, um, uh, you're, uh, it's different when you're a member of parliament because, you know, you've got to kind of toe the government line mm -hmm. a little bit. So. One thing I found now is I've got my weekend back and I say what I want. And uh, I think I always say to um, our constituents is that it is pretty hopeless down there. Excellent. Well, on that, I think, uh, honest assessment, it's something I think the Parliamentary Review has always done quite well, talking frankly about problems, issues, and also not just Practice, well, I used to. I mean, I used to read it when I was a, a member of Parliament, um, because I mean, what you want more than anything is you want to meet people with different experiences, and I've always sort of found uh, it quite a um, uh, a kind of a chatty magazine. But also, you would see things that you would not automatically have come across. A certain of attended um, the receptions over the year and it's amazing the things you kind of pick up. And I think it's important to stress it's not because uh, uh, politicians are, are, are uninterested because honestly as you all know more than anyone it's an issue of time and to be able to have a channel uh, and a platform where you can keep communication lines between businesses, schools and policy makers is so exceptionally important. No, I think so, and, you know, and it's important that it's beholding to nobody. People, um, uh, you know, pay for to be part of the publication, pay for to be uh, um, members, and it's a way of not being holding to government, not beholding to anything. Uh, no, uh, you're echoing the words, of course, your fellow uh, chairman, uh, Lord Blunkett, has said. That's what some might not know uh, is that you started your political journey, perhaps even further left than David Blunkett. Oh, absolutely, I was a communist. Now, uh, what, what, what was it? At the age what? of 14, I got, uh, I was bought um, the um, <clears throat> Trotsky's History of the Russian Revolution, and I read it from cover to cover. I tried to read it a few years back, and I just couldn't follow anything. Oh, so I was going to say, perhaps you might know the minds of the uh, show front bench Better than, better than they do themselves. From my position when I first joined, I would regard them as recalcitrant uh, <laughs> running dogs of the capitalist system. Now, what was it that, that uh, moved you from radical Marxist to running uh, the only uh, inner city council controlled by the Conservatives in the 80s? Well, I was very young and um, I was fascinated by what was happening in, um, uh, in what was then Czechoslovakia. And uh, Dubček and the the revolution that was taking place there inside communism, and the way in which uh, he was uh, repressed by uh, by repression uh, uh, yeah, and the tanks and taking over. I was so angry. And I'm 16, remember? Mm. I'm really angry. I thought, what's the most outrageous thing I can do? 
um, I will join the um, I'll join the Conservative Party as a protest. And I kind of sticked around. And my family thought it was the funniest thing that ever happened uh, to it. I was Eric the Tory. And, um, well, I think you announced this quite grandly as a, as, a, as a grand protest. I did indeed. But, um, you know, I kept going down and um, it, was a, it was an exciting time. Um, People were developing the ideas of what the Conservative Party should be. Selsdon man, even Heath looked radical. We had different ideas and just, it eventually clicked. And at some point, I became a Conservative. And that was 51 years ago. I think I'm definitely 100% a Tory now. Through and through. Through and through. Although I do know the story, most most uh, people might Guess that a, 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 a dying more conservative like yourself would have perhaps a portrait of uh, Mr. Thatcher or Mr. Churchill in their office, but uh, who is it that you have? Uh, At um, Che Guevara. Which uh, always, I always had him over my uh, left shoulder for visitors, and they always used to kind of, you see their eyes going up and thinking, who, yeah, I can't possibly be. Someone asked me if it was Desi Arnaz, a fellow that was um, <laughs> married to Lucille Ball. But no, the reason I, I did that was to remind me and to remind my uh, officials that without constant vigilance, the cigar chomping commies would take over. <laughs> I'm sure David Bunk was in the room to reply to that, actually. Um, but um, in, in that long journey, you eventually ended up, of course, in 2010, doing something most Conservatives would never thought they would have to do, but in a coalition government with, the, of all people, the Liberal Democrats. That's right. Now, um, something I think perhaps today more than ever, uh, people and our politics seems to be almost wholly determined um, on how we voted in a referendum three years ago. Yeah, I mean, the most normal thing would happen after something like that, mm. would be the would be the country would come together, and if anything, we're 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 more divided. I mean, I thought working in the coalition. I'm proud to have been part mm. of that coalition. Um, I'm proud to have worked alongside the Liberal Democrats, who I think realise that, like all minority partners in a in a coalition, they would suffer at the polls. Do you think we've lost the ability uh, recently as a, as, a, as a people to? work with those that we might disagree with on, on issues more than we used to. I'm not sure that's right. Um, I mean, you can see various members of the Conservative Party working closely with Liberal Democrats on Labour mm. to defeat their own government. But it's not a thing I think I would want to encourage. Quite. Um, and I, I should remind you, listen, we are calling this the in Victoria, um, just over the road uh, Cardinal Place, uh, a fantastically new de de development site which wouldn't have been there without some of uh, your uh, uh, legislation. What was the proudest? I, I personally approved it. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what was the proudest moment you think in uh, serving Secretary for five years? It's um, my actual proudest moment. We did a thing called uh, Trouble Families, which was the first centre-right uh, attempt to deal with poverty and to deal with um, difficult families that were causing a disproportionately large amount of um, of, of call upon the um, uh, upon the state. And it was on the basis of tough love. It's on the basis of getting people into jobs. It's about dealing with. Uh, uh, the kind of the whole, the family as a whole, not just one or two individuals that, a, that were having a problem. And I'm pleased that it's continued. Um, and since, I should very much stress, since of course you're uh, stepped down being an MP, you do have your weekends back, but that's not to say you haven't 
remain very active and very um, uh, busy. Of course, because he was the government's anti-corruption uh, champion, shone the harsh light of day over malpractice in the local government. Um, indeed, the Queen's speech we've just had includes some of uh, your recommendations from uh, 2016. Um, I think a couple of things on that. First of all, are you surprised? Um, I may imagine you may not be at some of the backlash towards in this country introducing voter uh, ID for voting. It is absurd, and it's particularly absurd coming from the Labour Party, because it was largely Labour's vulnerability uh, that got my interest in trying to do something about it. And um, it's a bit like saying, you know, you're requiring people to show some ID, uh, that this is suppressing voting. It's a bit like saying the post office is suppressing parcels because they demand to see uh, uh, some ID. I think. Um, They've got um, uh, a bee into their bonnet that this is something like they've got in the state to repress it. It's not. Mm. It's about giving confidence to the system. Now, the Electoral Commission and Foreign Observers have warned us for such a long time that our electoral system is vulnerable. And it's, it's to misquote um, uh, John Major, we are really sort of old males cycling to Evensong and, and Warbane, yeah, I mean, it's such a basic thing, it's an important thing. And it was kind of interesting uh, in some of the trials, um, they did um, a focus group with a bunch of uh, young uh, Asian girls and they said they thought the process of a photo ID would actually give them a greater confidence in the fairness of the system. I met and make all kinds of uh, recommendations to stop uh, postal fort harvesting, uh, to, for, to, to stop various fraud taking place, to stop um, intimidation at counts, to stop intimidation outside polling stations. And I, I think you referenced it earlier, the, the Westminster bubble, a lot of the, the places where this occurs and the places where this does go on are places where perhaps uh, Many members, many people in the press don't usually go to. No, they, no, I don't. Uh, we saw a YouGov poll that said the overwhelming majority, well in the sixty percent, thought these, this idea was sensible. Yeah, and I, 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 um, I, I imagine you're quite proud that that recommendation is uh, in the speech. Yes, I mean I'm a bit frustrated they didn't do it sooner, but it's, nevertheless I'm very happy that it, they. They are doing it. It's as if the government's time has been taken up by somebody else and we've not focused on anything domestic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but with a man, though, with his roots in uh, local government, uh, do you think, and, and how much you've worked with, this, with that report, especially looking at them carefully, how would you rate our current state of local municipal politics? Well, it was very good. I mean, local government, don't get me wrong, it's, uh, it's by and large corruption free and it, it does a remarkably good job. And it was in truth my worries about local government and that these measures were brought in. I don't believe the fraud is big enough to be able to take a parliamentary seat, but it is big enough to take a council. And if you are negligent, uncaring about the probity of the poll, you're likely to be equally negligent about the awarding of contracts uh, 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 to your friends. Uh, so it's, it's all passed up. But look, government is, is, is a very enduring part of our constitution. I got a bit stick because we had to take some money from them. But 
by and large, they survive very well. Excellent. Now, uh, beyond um, obviously uh, that work, you also, of course, uh, the British envoy for uh, post-Holocaust issues. Yeah, sure. I think it's very dear to your heart. Um, I know you've done some fantastic uh, work recently, including with uh, a former Shadow Chancellor from the Review uh, at Balls. Um, would you mind, uh, if you could just let the listeners know what projects you are working on with that and, and really the importance that has to so many communities around the country? Well, I used to be very unpleasant about Ed Ball and he used to be very unpleasant about me, but I found working with him uh, remarkably easy and we've not had a, a single row in two years and by now we're beginning to be able to, re- to finish each other's sentences. We're building a, a memorial to the Holocaust uh, next to Parliament uh, with a learning centre below it and the reason why the Prime Minister chose that site is that um, it was David Cameron and he wanted to ensure that when people left the memorial they would look and see Parliament and recognise that it was the last bastion against tyranny. But more important, to remind people who work in Parliament that that the legislature has a choice. It can either protect its citizens or it can oppress its citizens. And we do know that um, uh, that it was a compliant legislature that brought in the Nuremberg uh, laws. And at a time when there are parts of Europe that are seeking to rewrite their history and seeking to see themselves as only the victims of the Nazis, I'm determined that we should tell the truth in an unblinking uh, way. Um, We are, I suppose, at a critical crossroads when the last survivor is likely Mm -hmm. to uh, be no longer with us within the next decade and a half. And at that point, we do know that um, uh, history starts to be reassessed. I think it was Simon Sharma that uh, talked about this. And he was referring to the French Revolution. And of course, most of the books written in the 1850s are the ones that have uh, shaped um, our view of the French Revolution. But the difference is this that uh, slightly over 100 years ago, my grandfather, Edgar, Mm. uh, grabbed hold of his Lee Enfield and walked out of a trench in the Somme and walked towards um, the Germans. And within a few minutes, uh, most of the people he'd he'd been brought up with, most of his friends were dead. Nobody doubts that he did that. But there's a whole industry out there that doubts that the Holocaust took place. So that's why it's important that we help frame that narrative. And uh, any reference as well, it's, it's, it's so important, especially at this, this time, this time of history of so many years afterwards, that uh, people, young people in schools get the correct education about it. How do we compare as a country in doing that compared to some of our European friends? We're, we, um, I think, compare remarkably well, uh, and particularly because we've got a mixture of things. Uh, we, ins- we ensure through the lessons of Auschwitz that two pupils from every secondary school go to Auschwitz each year, uh, that they have a preliminary meeting, uh, a visit and a, a wrap-up. We ensure that um, Holocaust Day um, uh, is remembered in January. Now, I can remember starting that 
uh, or I'm not starting it, but being part uh, of a foot soldier of people that put it together. And you know, it was like one man and a dog, but now it's quite a, a massive, it's, it's a massive um, event. So I think we are quite good at remembering that. I think where we perhaps do need to have a wider understanding is beyond the death counts. And we need to kind of understand uh, the Anstatt group, which was the roving murder squads, um, how um, important they were. You were more likely to have been shot in a ditch than to end up in a, in a death camp. Um, and uh, they, the interland of that is Lithuania, where I was uh, last week uh, talking to colleagues and through, through Belarus and the Ukraine. And it's really important that we ensure that we we register where those death sites are. And I think uh, certainly, uh, and when we sit down next to speak, which hopefully won't be too uh, long away, it's and I think we'd be very happy to, to keep updates on how that how that project is going because it's so important. And people do need to be aware of it. Um, looking to the future, though, um, I imagine we're actually very uh, content and happy. Former Prime Minister, friend and colleague David Cameron just released. Spoken, you came quite unscathed from it. I can't, it was very nice about yes. it. Um, I even bought the audio version because he was reading it, and he obviously, you know, but there was a fair bit of affection. And, and, yes. and I'm rather glad they left out one or two of the other embarrassing things, <laughs> maybe another time. Yeah. Yes, um, but um, it's um, important, I think. Uh, and I'm conscious of the time, so but I'm, I think it's important that today people have become so perhaps um, caught up in what's happening in this country regarding Brexit. Um, looking to the future, how would you, and what would you say that it's a positive thing that, that this country has to look forward to? Well, we're a large trade, we're a large trading nation, we're a large uh, economy, we're a liberal uh, uh, democracy, and it would be good to get through uh, Brexit over the coming years and it would be good to start to look at some of the social issues uh, that we need to tackle those that have been left behind uh, by our economic uh, uh, progress and it would be good to see some solid investment in this country both in terms of its infrastructure but also in, in terms of the way it operates as a democracy. And I know this is going to be a huge focus of the next review. Uh, Pickles, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. As always, it's been a pleasure interviewing and learning from our guests. I hope that you all enjoyed listening. Until next time, let's raise a glass to raising standards. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can find every episode on iTunes, YouTube, and Spotify. The views expressed by each guest in the podcast are their own. They do not represent the opinions of the Parliamentary Review, Westminster Publications, Lord Pickles, Lord Blunkett, David Curry, or any other guest on the podcast. If you'd like to know more about the Parliamentary Review, please visit www.theparliamentaryreview.co.uk.